Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Oh, hi. Hello. How is everyone? This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am, obviously, your host, Liv. She who wants to say clear and loud, right up top, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. I want to start today's episode by acknowledging the incredible work being done right now to fight against the horrific police brutality perpetrated against Black people and, of course, at this moment, against basically anyone speaking up and exercising their right to peaceful protest about that police brutality. It's fucked, but it's making a difference. I and some of you who follow me on Instagram recently donated over, well over, $3,000 to Black Lives Matter, bail funds, and other amazing causes, and I just want to applaud all of you. You know, a portion of that was my money, but most of it was yours, and you all came through incredible. If you're able to donate to any of these causes, I urge you to do it. They need it, and it feels great. You could also donate to charities supporting trans people, or specifically the most at-risk group, Black trans women. A certain author keeps ruining her legacy, and personally, I found it cathartic to donate $50 to Black trans women after reading all her bullshit. Based on some fun Instagram experiences lately, too, I do just want to say that if you're just realizing this podcast, while about Greek mythology, is also about equality, racial justice, and is against fascism, namely the one in chief, well, welcome. I'm not sure what you've been listening to before this, but you do not, however, need to yell at me or others on Instagram. Thank you. (laughs) Well, this intro is getting long, but it's because we're in crazy times, my friends. (sighs) Finally. Very importantly, it's also June, which means it's Pride Month, so I'm going to be dedicating as many episodes as possible to LGBTQ stories from Greek mythology. I've 
done so many of these theme months, though, over the years that sadly, they're getting harder and harder to find. But I'm going to do my best. This month, I've got another project I have to prioritize because it has a deadline of the end of the month. So it may be that I bring pride into July if I don't get a chance to tell you as many stories as I'd like this month. Mini Myth All the best heroes have boyfriends. Heracles and Hylas. Plus, more LGBTQ stories. Oh, Heracles. Fine, better known as Hercules. It's been a really long time since we talked about him, the most famous of heroes, in depth. One of these days, we'll travel back to Heracles' stories because there's actually so many more to him than just the 12 labors that I've already covered. But for now, we're focusing on his relationship with Hylas. In looking into this story, I do think I've mentioned Hylas in passing, and that's because their story primarily comes from when Heracles was helping Jason and the other Argonauts on their various quests. But those episodes were dedicated to that dickwad, Jason. This one's all about the lovers, Heracles and Hylas. Because that's what they were. Heracles and Hylas were lovers. And Hylas was not Heracles' only boyfriend. He had relationships with men and women. Heracles got around. He was very open with his love. We can choose to ignore the time that he killed his wife and children. As I said, the time of Heracles' life when he was in love with Hylas and in a kind of pseudo-relationship was during the time Heracles spent with the Argonauts, helping Jason complete the quest for the Golden Fleece. Jason's name is the one attached to the quest, but he had so many better, more impressive heroes with him on that journey. Heracles, Atalanta, among others. Heracles was along for that ride with his squire, Hylas. This is why I called it a pseudo-relationship. It seems that Hylas was Heracles' squire, his assistant of sorts, but they were certainly in love as well. That much is acknowledged in most, if not all, of the sources. Hylas is also referred to as beautiful, lovely. Apparently, he was just gorgeous. Heracles was a lucky guy. Heracles and Hylas, along with Jason and the other Argonauts, were in the middle of their quest when our story begins. They had just reached Mycia when Heracles, in all his Herculean strength, broke an oar mid-row. The ships of ancient Greeks used both sails and oars, you see, and at that moment, all the men and Atalanta of the Argo were rowing frantically. Of course, for the other heroes, that just meant rowing as strong as they could. But for Heracles, well, Heracles was fucking strong. I mean, there's a reason he's famous for exactly that, and that there's a word, Herculean, which means having enormous strength. Heracles was too strong even for the oars of the Argo, and his snapped. This was simply not acceptable for Heracles. He couldn't imagine sitting idle on the ship while the others rowed. Unheard of. So the very moment that they landed on Mycia... Heracles went looking for a tree that he could turn into a new oar, because he's the type of dude who goes looking for a straight-up tree to, what, pick up and carve into an oar? Anyway, Heracles is a badass, and in this story, he's not problematic, so it's nice for once. The other Argonauts, including Heracles' beloved Hylas, made themselves comfortable planning for the night they would spend in Mycia. Heracles had an exact tree in mind. He would need it not to have too many branches, those wouldn't be helpful, and it would need to be big enough and strong enough to act as an oar and not break again like that silly old oar he'd had earlier. The nerve of that one. So when he found the perfect pine tree off in the woods, he planted his feet wide and wrapped his arms around the trunk of the tree. With a strong yank, Heracles ripped the tree from the ground, roots and all. Honestly, I would have loved to see it. 
Heracles all muscly and sweaty. Get it together, Liv. Heracles was gone for some time in search of his tree, and meanwhile the other Argonauts set about making a camp for the night. They made a fire and were cooking a nice dinner by the time Heracles returned. But when Heracles arrived back at the camp, he noticed that Hylas wasn't there. Immediately concerned for this man he loved, but who was also his squire and therefore doubly important, he asked the others where Hylas had gone. They told Heracles that he'd gone off with a bronze pitcher in search of water, that he'd been gone for a few hours now. Polyphemus, another one of the Argonauts, they said, had gone looking for him. Heracles was really panicking now. Hylas had been gone way too long, so Heracles immediately went off in search of him. He cried out for Hylas frantically, his voice cracking in fear and grief. But the first person Heracles came upon wasn't his beloved Hylas. Instead, it was Polyphemus, who told him that he had heard Hylas cry out and had gone running after the sound. Polyphemus was worried that Hylas had been grabbed by a wild animal and tried his best to find the young man, but he hadn't been able to find anything except Hylas's bronze pitcher was knocked over by a river. When Heracles heard this, his panic only heightened. He was afraid and angry, and he raced through the forest in search of any evidence of where Hylas had been or what could have taken him. What Heracles doesn't know is when Hylas had left the group with his bronze pitcher to find some fresh water, he had soon come upon a stream with perfect, crystal-clear water. What Hylas didn't know as he approached the river was that there were nymphs in its depths. Whether they hid or he simply didn't notice them, Hylas didn't know the nymphs were there until they, finding him so beautiful that they simply had to kiss him, reached up, grabbed hold of Hylas, and pulled him towards them very much against his will. The nymphs pulled so hard, so frantically and violently, that they pulled him into the water with a splash. Poor Hylas was only able to cry out once before he hit the water. This was the cry that Polyphemus heard. Is it refreshing to have an obvious sexual assault perpetrated by women for once? Oh, no? It's just fucking awful? Heracles and Polyphemus continued their search for Hylas, but it was pointless. He had been dragged into the water by nymphs and would never be able to leave. It suggested maybe he lived and was straight up kidnapped, or he was killed, but whatever his fate, poor Heracles never found his beloved Hylas. He wouldn't give up the search, though, and in the morning he and Polyphemus hadn't returned, so Jason ordered the Argonauts to leave without them. Because Jason was an asshole, but we all knew that. As much as I love that I get to feature LGBTQ stories from ancient mythology, it sure would be nice if fewer of them ended in abject tragedy. And that is the story of Heracles and Hylas. I'm so sorry it was a short one, but sadly, we are getting to fewer and fewer LGBTQ stories that are longer than a few lines in most books. I had five books propped around me to write this and two websites, and still, that is all I could stretch it out to. What's coming up next is last year's Big Pride episode. I wanted to provide you guys with more, and unfortunately, this week, I honestly, I can't talk about what this project is yet, which just makes me feel bad for not providing a full episode, but I promise I have a really good reason, and so I wanted to give you at least something new, and now please enjoy the Pride episode from last year. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. First up today is a relationship had by the god of wine and orgies himself, our friend Dionysus. Okay, fine, he's not the official god of orgies, but I mean, he's the god of orgies. Here, though, I'll call him Bacchus by his Roman name, as this version of the story comes from my beloved Ovid. But not his famous metamorphoses. No, it's just a brief mention in his work called Fasti, a poetical calendar. A satyr named Ampelos lived on the Ismarian hills. He's the son of a satyr and a nymph, though he resembles his satyr father most, and is quite ruggedly described as unshorn. Bacchus falls in love with Ampelos, Bacchus, I would argue, is quite proudly pansexual. His love knows no bounds. Bacchus falls in love with Ampelos, and so he entrusts him with a particular grapevine. For, of course, Bacchus is god of wine. This vine that Bacchus entrusts with Ampelos is hanging from a leafy elm tree. And on this day, Ampelos has climbed high into the tree in order to pick the grapes from the vine. Tragically, he loses his footing in the tree and he falls to his death. So he's placed in the sky as the constellation best known as Buotes, and vines are forever named after him. The ancient Greek word for vine is simply ampelos. Today's episode is brought to you by StoryWorth. Finding the perfect present for dad is tough, especially if you don't have the luxury of celebrating Father's Day together in person. Of course, we're all dealing with that a lot right now. Thankfully, I'm lucky enough that our restrictions have opened enough that my dad and I are going to sit six feet apart and hang out a little bit. And that feels like the most exciting thing in the world because otherwise it's been months. 
I know that more than anything, at least my parents cherish spending time with family. That's why I'm giving my dad the most meaningful gift this year, a chance to connect with loved ones through StoryWorth. Last year, I gifted StoryWorth to my mom for Mother's Day, and it's been really cool seeing all the stories revealed about her childhood, her parents, just kind of everything that I hadn't heard before. StoryWorth is a fun and meaningful way to engage with family, especially with relatives you might not get to see often. I'm really looking forward to seeing what the stories my dad comes up with are. I mean, we talk a lot, but I feel like every moment there's like a new story that no one thinks to tell you until they're prompted with something like this. After one year, StoryWorth will compile every answered question and photo you choose to include into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. So give your dad the most meaningful gift this year with StoryWorth. Get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com slash mythsbaby. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash mythsbaby for $10 off. Once again, from one of my most beloved friends, Ovid, comes a story of Hermes, Mercury, as the Romans called him, and Venus, or Aphrodite. Though you'll quickly learn that everything would have made a hint more sense if Ovid had used the Greek names for these gods rather than the Roman. The caves on Mount Ida are well known. So many things happened on Mount Ida in mythology that one might have to believe there were in fact two mountains, which is my very awkward way of explaining that in classical mythology there were two Mount Idas, one on the island of Crete and one in the general area of Troy, though really just Anatolia in Turkey. I also learned, while clarifying Idas, that there's one in Salmon Arm, British Columbia, which is interesting, while simultaneously being boring, because, I'm sorry, nothing exciting happens in Salmon Arm. It's called Salmon Arm, like the fish, but with an arm. Anyway, this story from my beloved Ovid takes place in the Phrygian Ida, the one in Turkey. In the caves on this Mount Ida, the child of Venus and Mercury is born. Ovid refers to Venus, Aphrodite, here as the Cytherian goddess, which might be his way of not ruining the meaning of the child's name by calling Aphrodite by her Roman name of Venus. Because yes, the child of Mercury and Venus is named Hermaphroditus, a combination of Hermes and Aphrodite, because the origin of the character is indeed Greek. Though it's our friend Ovid who tells their story in the most beautiful and crazy of ways. In some versions, Hermaphroditus is born intersex, with both sex organs, giving us the word hermaphrodite. But in others, like this one, he's born male. He's just the cutest baby, taking equally the looks of his parents, quite the looker. Raised by nymphs, naiads, because of course his parents were too busy, the gods rarely do the raising of their children. They've got far too many humans to have sex with, and wars to cause, you know. When he was a teenager, Hermaphroditus decided to go out on his own to explore beyond the mountain where he'd been raised. He wanders and eventually comes upon a pool. Its waters are so crystal clear, you can see the bottom. There's no plants, no icky lake things that tickle your feet and make you feel like there just has to be the most terrifying monster looking in the depths. No, it was pristine, like the souk potholes, which is a reference to maybe two people. Please let me know if one of these people is you. Beyond the pool, there were meadows, the most beautiful green meadows, the flowers, and gosh, just everything you can imagine that make up a beautiful meadow. I don't know. This pool, surrounded by this beautiful meadow, is home to a nymph. But she's no ordinary nymph. She doesn't like hunting or archery or even running. A woman after my own heart, honestly. This nymph is the only one of her sisters not 
to want to join Diana, Artemis. You all know how Diana loved her nymphs. And this nymph's name is Salmachus. And when Salmachus sets eyes on Hermaphroditus, oh man, she was in, like, truly madly deeply into this random stranger she'd just come upon because, holy goddamn, is he hot. Ovid says it best when he describes her first speaking to him. She compliments everything she can think of. Oh man, are you a god because you look like it? If no, your parents are blessed as hell. If you've got a brother, he must feel lucky. Or a sister, man, she must feel fortunate. But luckiest of all must be the woman you're going to marry. And say, is there one? Because if not, let me just put my name in the running right here and now. If you don't have a bride chosen yet, please, for the love of God, choose me. She says. And if you think I'm making things up right now, other than a bit of colloquializing on my part, as I want to do, then you've got another thing coming. This is her speech, though perhaps the original is a bit more ovity. And honestly, even more like that. <sighs> Hermaphroditus is a bit taken aback. Not because he isn't flattered, but because he just has no idea what's going on. He's been totally ignorant of love and attraction and really any of what Salmachus has just said to him. I mean, he lived on a mountain with a bunch of nymphs who raised him until about five minutes ago. He needs some time to get used to the real world, where nymphs are super forward and just a bit thirsty. Salmachus, though, is persistent. She just keeps trying to convince Hermaphroditus that he should be into her, and then she straight up tries forcing him to kiss her. It's not good, and one of the few, if not only, stories where the woman is being the absolute creep and bordering on rapey. Finally, Hermaphroditus is so over trying to keep pushing her off of him that he tells her if she doesn't stop, he's just going to leave her alone in her pool. Salmachus finally listens to Hermaphroditus' protests, and she tells him that if he really doesn't want her, she'll leave him alone, and he can enjoy the pool all to himself. <sighs> and then she straight up pretends to leave, but she doesn't, and she just hides behind a bush to watch him. Fucking creep. Hermaphroditus believes he's alone, and he decides to take a bath in the pool. He strips down and jumps in, and this only makes Salmachus crazier, more obsessed with well, straight up raping him. She jumps in after him, herself now naked, and grabs hold of Hermaphroditus even as he protests. She grabs him and she kisses him and touches him, grabbing hold with all her might, completely against his will. Ovid describes her hold on him as a snake's coiling tail, ivy around tree trunks, octopus that hold on to its prey beneath the sea. Not the nicest descriptors, but then Ovid tends to be brutally honest about what he's describing. In this case, Salmachus assaulting Hermaphroditus. Salmachus tells Hermaphroditus that no matter how hard he may try, he won't be able to get out of her grasp, and then she calls up to the gods, asking for them to be merged together, becoming one being, never again to be apart. Which would be kind of romantic if Hermaphroditus had wanted any part of it, instead it's gross and awful. And this at least in Ovid's telling, is how Hermaphroditus becomes intersex, both male and female. It also tells that this pool where the transformation occurs on the request of Hermaphroditus to his godly parents now serves to transform anyone who swims in it. Any man who swims in this pool now, this fountain of Salmachus, becomes more feminine.
back again to our friend Dionysus, though this time I'll call him just that. When we meet Dionysus here, he's needing to travel to the underworld, but he doesn't know the way. He comes upon a man named Prosimnos, who promises to tell him his way into Hades, provided he fulfills one request Prosimnos has. Prosimnos, you see, wants desperately to have sex with Dionysus. Dionysus is all about sex, so he doesn't hesitate to agree to this request. He'd be happy to, he says to Prosimnos, though I'm definitely paraphrasing. Dionysus is, after all, the god of bacchanals, known for their orgies and the like. He isn't one to shy away from that type of ask. And so Prosimnos tells Dionysus how to reach his destination in the underworld, giving him all the instructions and directions he needs to fulfill whatever it is he needs to do there. We're not told what. But when Dionysus returns from the underworld to seek out Prosimnos to fulfill the promise he happily made with the man, he isn't able to find him, as Prosimnos had died in the time it took Dionysus to travel to the underworld and back. But Dionysus doesn't want to let that keep him from fulfilling his promise. Necrophilia? You might ask out loud, hesitantly, as I tell you Dionysus plans to fulfill the request, even though Prosimnos is dead. But don't be disgusting. No, Dionysus has a far cleverer way of doing this. He travels to Prosimnos' tomb, and he brings with him a branch from a nearby fig tree. Dionysus carefully shapes this branch into the shape of a phallus, and a nice one at that. And with his fig tree phallus, Dionysus fulfills the promise he made to Prosimnos. How incredibly romantic, wouldn't you say? Because of this act by Dionysus, because he fulfilled his promise in this incredibly creative and Dionysian way, thus begins the practice of phalloi. These are memorials to this event, set up in cities dedicated to Dionysus. And, if I'm not mistaken, they are. Quite simply, large erect penises placed quite heroically in cities around Greece. At these memorials, people would hold solemn processions as they sing the so-called phallic hymn, and we're told that it's because of Dionysus that they're doing this isn't a shameful act at all, but a righteous one. And... For a quick final bonus story, Tiresias. You remember him. He's the blind prophet of so many stories from Greek mythology. He has a hand in Oedipus and Odysseus and others, but those are the ones that are coming to me in this moment. There was a time that Tiresias experienced a change, though a temporary one. According to Apollodorus, Tiresias once witnessed a couple of snakes fucking. Yes, snakes fucking. And when he saw those snakes fucking, he injured one of the snakes. And in return... He was changed into a woman. Later, she saw two more snakes fucking. Yes, more snakes fucking. And then was changed back into a woman. There isn't much more to the story than this, except that once, Zeus and Hera were fighting over who enjoys sex more. Men or women. There's only one person they could ask to settle the argument. Only one person had experienced both. Tiresias. So Zeus and Hera called on Tiresias to ask who experiences more pleasure during sex, and Tiresias told them, on a scale from one to ten, men experience one, and women experience the remaining nine. Hera, though, for some reason doesn't like this answer, even though I'm all for it. 
She blinds Tiresias, and Zeus, feeling bad for him, gifts him with the ability to see the future, to be a prophet, and he lives for ages, hence all the aforementioned stories. Oh, my wonderful nerds, thank you all for listening. If anyone has any other suggestions for LGBTQ stories that I haven't covered yet, please send them to me. You can reach me anywhere, really. I'm Myths Baby on all social media, or you can go to my website, MythsBaby.com. I did have a listener suggestion already for Xenophon's Ephesian story, and it sounds great, but it seems editions of this are very, very hard to find. You all know I won't use Amazon, but if anyone can find another means, I'd be happy to use that source. Thank you all. You're the best. Stay safe, stay strong, stand up for what you believe. I am Liv, and I love this shit. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.